A scripture passage today comes from the first letter of John. I'm going to be today in chapter 4, looking at verses 13 to 21. Now before we read this, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and wonderful Father, we thank you for your many gifts, Lord, and the guidance that you have given us through life, Lord, and we thank you especially today for the, for the gift of your Holy Scripture, Lord, for the words that were spoken through the prophets and the apostles, Lord, written down and preserved, Father, so we can open this book today and we can read of your good and perfect will for us. But Father, we cannot understand these things unless the Spirit that first inspired them would inspire us again. So I pray, Lord, that you would breathe your Holy Spirit out upon us, that we may hear, that we may read, and that we may understand. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the first letter of John chapter 4, verses 13 to 21. Listen now to the word of the Lord. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom has, he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we've been going through the, uh, the letter of John over these last few weeks, and uh, we've seen how God is equipping us to be heroes. He's equipping us for this, this journey of life, this quest of life that he has us set on, and nothing short of a hero is going to see us through this. And, and we've been given this, seeing this advice that John has been given us about how we can live this heroic life. And a lot of it so far has been focused on the obstacles we face, the enemies we face, the sin and evil that we uh, encounter throughout this life, throughout this, this journey we go through in life. And so I've been talking a lot about monsters, you know, the zombies and the werewolves and the dragons and the deceiver because these are all symbols of the sin and evil that we have to face. 
Uh, we've also heard, as, as when Liz preached on um, a few weeks ago, about the, the strength that that, that that love gives us, and that's what fuels us. We've talked about how we are we have to remember who we really are, that all of us need to remember that we are truly sons and daughters of the King. And then one day, this will be fully realized when we come into the household of God. So today, I want to uh, change direction just a little bit on this and talk about how God equips us for our journey through life, how God equips us through our heroic journey. Now, if you, if you ever read stories, especially mythology or fantasy stories, you'll know that every hero has got to have the right equipment. That in almost every heroic story, every hero is given something special, some, some special weapon or piece of equipment that makes his journey possible. I mean, if you remember the myth of, of Perseus, when he had to go fight the Gorgon, he was given this helmet, this magic helmet that made him invisible. And he was given the, uh, the winged shoes of Hermes so he could actually fly. Um, in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker, of course, he had his lightsaber. You know, that was the, the weapon of the special weapon of the Jedi. And probably the most famous piece of heroic equipment, King Arthur had his sword Excalibur. So every hero has to have the right equipment. Every hero needs to be equipped properly. And God has also equipped us. God has not left us empty-handed in our journey through life. He has not left us empty-handed with all the enemies that we have to face. He has given us many gifts. And he's also given us many weapons. But of all the, the, the equipment that the hero has to fight with, one of the most important is the shield. Every hero needs a good shield. Every time you go into combat, you've got to have a shield because a shield is critical for defense. I mean, that's the way you defend yourself because when you go out into combat, all right, you're not just attacking the enemy. You've got to be ready for the enemy that's always attacking you. So you got to have a shield, a good, trusty shield. And that's the key, that word, trusty. It's got to be a shield you trust. You can't go out into battle with some old rusty thing that's falling apart. You know, the first time the enemy strikes a blow at you, it's going to fall apart, and you'll be left completely defenseless. It's got to be a shield you can trust. It's got to be something that you can put on your arm and you know that this is going to defend you and this is going to protect you no matter what the enemy throws at you. Now, I want us to, to remind you real quick what the goal of our enemy is. And I'm talking about the enemy, our historical enemy. Call him Satan, call him the devil, call it the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, however you want to, to, to catalog it for yourself. But this enemy has got one goal for all of us, and that's to destroy your faith. That's what the enemy is really after. He wants you to destroy your faith. He wants you to destroy your belief, and specifically destroy your belief and your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the faith that he's after to destroy. He doesn't care if you believe in yourself. He's actually fine with that. He does not want you to believe in Jesus, especially in Jesus as the Christ, as your Messiah, and as your Savior. And to try to undermine your faith, 
There are lots of attacks that the enemy is going to throw at you. But of all the attacks the enemy throws at you, there's two that are the deadliest. And these are lies and fear. Lies and fear are the deadliest, worst attacks that the enemy can throw at us. The most of us, when you think of the enemy, you think temptation is what, is what the enemy is after. Satan is after tempting. He's always tempting us. And we think of him as the tempter. But temptation is actually, is actually a roundabout way to get you to undermine your faith. Because in temptation, he's, he, if you give into temptation, you're actually living an unfaithful life. You're not living according to your faith. And so through that temptation, if we give into it, then the enemy starts hitting you with guilt. And when he hits you with guilt, then you're afraid to draw near to God again because, oh, I'm not worthy to do this. I've, I've disappointed God. I'm, I'm a man of unclean hands and unclean lips. Who am I to approach God and to draw near him? Who am I to call myself a child of God? So the temptation is actually not the point. The point is to break in your faith. But the thing about lies and fear, though, lies and fear are direct attacks on your faith. They're not the roundabout attacks like temptation is. A lie will directly attack your faith. Because the lies that the enemy wants us to believe, it wants us to believe lies like there is another Savior besides Jesus. You can follow after your own heart, or you can follow another God, or you can follow what? Anything else. He doesn't care, as long as it's not Jesus. He'll give you a lie that there, the Jesus you believe in is not the same Jesus that we are given in the, the, the scriptures. And this is what the, uh, the, the, the deceiver we were talking about last week, try to get you to believe in another Jesus. Or the popular lie about Jesus that's around today is that he was just a prophet. He was just a really good person. He wasn't the Christ. These are the kind of lies, attacks that the enemy will always try to get you used to undermine your faith. And the thing about lies is, is, is lies have to be attacked directly. We can't use defense with lies. You've got to attack lies. You've got to destroy them. And we're going to talk about lies, actually not this week. We'll talk about lies next week. Today I want to talk about to you about how to defend against what I believe the deadliest weapon of the enemy. And that's fear. I think fear is the deadliest Worst weapon that the enemy ever levels against us. And it is the hardest for us to defend. Remember, the goal is to undermine your faith. The goal is to destroy your faith in Jesus Christ. And to think about it, the, the heart of doubt is fear. That's what our doubts are all about. If you, if you were to go right into the center of what doubt really is, you would find that it is just fear. All of our doubts are fear. And fear is the worst way, that the, the most powerful thing that undermines our faith. There's that fear that, that God isn't there at all. The fear that, well, maybe the atheists are right after all, and there, and there is no God. And then there's the fear that, well, if God is there, then I don't see how he could possibly love a person like me. Or he's just so big and he's so mighty, he has so much universe to take care of. How in the world could this God ever pay attention to a small little insect like me? I'm just insignificant. I'm, I'm not important enough to even be on his radar. And then there's the fear that we're not good enough. We're not holy enough. 
the fear that, that we're not going to make it. The fear that we are, in fact, going to be punished for our sins. The fear that when, when Jesus comes to divide the sheep and the goats, that we might, oh, be on the side of the goats. There's the fear that we're all alone. Fear that life is meaningless. Fear that nobody loves us. Fear that all of this is just one big giant mistake and accident. And you notice there's some lies laced in here as well. In fact, everything I've just said to you is a lie of the enemy. But it's fear that makes these lies believable. There's nothing that undermines our faith more than fear. It is a direct attack on our faith. And even worse, when we're in a, in a state of fear, it's so hard to believe. It's so hard to believe when we, we are consumed by fear. It's like in a, in a fearful state, there's like something blocking, blocking our faith. There's something that's like blocking God out that we can't, we can't seem to contact him or see him or feel him. And it's that fear that is, a, that is a wall between us and the grace of God. And when we fear, it's so hard to access our faith. So hard to reach out and to touch that faith and to use it as a strength. Because fear in that moment has completely blinded us. And in, the, in those moments of fear, faith just seems so puny. How can this little thing like faith take over this gigantic thing in me that's making me afraid? In our moments of fear, we are more vulnerable than at any other moment in our life. And there's not even a close second. When we are afraid, we are the most vulnerable than any other moment of our life. God has not left us defenseless. God has given us a shield. He has given us a shield against fear and not just any shield because the hero doesn't get just any run-of-the-mill equipment. The hero is not given just a shield you give out to anybody. No, you've been given a special one. It's an unbreakable shield. A literally unbreakable shield. Nothing can penetrate the defenses of the shield. And if you used it properly, or at least just use it, it conquers fear. The shield that God has given us is the one thing that destroys all fear. It's the love of God. The love of God destroys all fear, completely eradicates it, and fear cannot stand a chance against it. If, if, if fear were a candle, then the love of God is a tidal wave coming to wash it away and extinguish it forever. Fear cannot stand against the love of God. Listen to what John tells us here. I'm looking first at verse uh, 18. He says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So that's what he says. Perfect love cast out fear. There is no fear in love. This love completely destroys it. Eradicates fear. Pushes it out completely. So there's, no, there's not even an option of fearing if we have this perfect love in us. 
Now, you know what makes me think? I read this and I'm like, well, wait a minute. I fear. I fear sometimes. In fact, sometimes I fear quite a lot. Does that mean God's love is not in me? I mean, it says here that, that this, this perfect love casts out fear. So if I fear, therefore, that love is not in me. Let me disillusion you of that thought. That's not what John means. John means there. What he says is perfect love casts out fear. And when God's love is perfected in you, there is no fear. This might come as a newsflash, but my love isn't perfect. In fact, my love is incredibly flawed. And just as unsurprising as this, God's love has yet to be perfected in me. Now, in Greek, that word perfected, when we think of perfected, we think of flawless. But in Greek, the word perfected actually means more of completed, as has come to its perfect or its completed state. So God's love has not been completed in me. The reason why I fear is because my love isn't perfect. The reason why I fear is because God's love has yet to be perfected in me. The day is going to come when God's love will be perfected in me, and when that happens, I will fear no more. The day will come when God's love will be perfected in you, and when that day comes, you will fear nothing. But now, as we exist here in this human state, my love is imperfect. My love is human, and so I still fear. But the more I love, the less I fear. The more God's love is perfected in me, I will fear less. See, what the apostle is doing as he's writing here is to assure us of God's love, is to assure us that we do have that shield that is greater and stronger than fear. This is how we started off. I'm going back to verse 13. He says, By this we know that we abide in him, and him, he means God, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So what he's saying here is that we know God abides in us because we have his Spirit. And what his Spirit he's talking about, he's talking about what we call the Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity which is the fullness of God, the part of God that dwells here, or rather the person of God that dwells here on earth and dwells in us. He says, we know that God is in us because we have God's spirit in us. And if we have his spirit in us, then we have God dwelling in us. Now, someone ask, well, how do I know? How do I know? if God's Spirit is actually dwelling in me. What he tells us here in verse 15, he says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Whoever confesses or whoever says or proclaims and believes that Jesus is the Son of God, then that means God abides in him. That means the Holy Spirit now abides in that person who whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, that believes in Jesus as the Christ. What he's telling us 
is that, is that you cannot believe that Jesus is the Son of God without the Holy Spirit. Unless you have the Holy Spirit in you, which is God in you, you cannot believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul tells us this explicitly in Corinthians when he says nobody confesses that Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one that makes this possible. You can't believe in Jesus as the Christ. You can't believe that Jesus as the Son of God. You can't take him as your Savior apart from the Holy Spirit. So the fact that you believe in Jesus, the fact that you have faith in him, means God is in you. It means God's Spirit is in you. If you believe in Jesus as the Christ, the only way you can do that, the only way you can say that is because God dwells in you. And he goes on to say this in verse 16. And this is what I want you to remember today. If you remember nothing else today, remember this passage. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. We can believe in God's love. We can trust in that love. We can trust that shield that he has given us that can destroy all fear. And we know that his love is in us because he says God is love. That's who God is. So if God abides in you, if his spirit abides in you, then his love abides in you also. God can't abide in you without his love abiding in you also. There's this package deal. It's impossible for that not to happen. That's like me telling you, you're welcome to come into this building here but you cannot be cooled by our air conditioning. Well, how, how do I do that? Because once I walk into a building that's air conditioned, I'm immediately going to be cooled by the air conditioning. And in the same way, you can't have God in you without having his love in you as well. Because God is love. That's the nature of his personality. That is the nature of his being, the best way we can even possibly understand who God is by saying and understanding and knowing that God is love. So therefore, wherever God goes, his love goes as well. In whoever God dwells, there his love dwells also. So if we have God in us, and we know we have God in us because we have confessed and believe as Jesus, as the Christ, because we know God is in us, we know that God's love abides in us as well. So we have come to know and to believe the love that the Father has for us. And this is the same love that makes fear impossible. This is the same love of which John says a few passages later, this is the love that casts out all fear. This is the love that makes fear completely impossible, that destroys fear, and there is no fear in this love. 
This is the shield that God has given us against the fear of the enemy. And it is truly an unbreakable shield. But you have to trust it. You have to believe in it. You can't keep it at arm's length. You have to open your heart to it and let it fill you up. Otherwise, it does no good. Friends, this is truly the end and the beginning of our faith, trusting in the love of God. Of course, we love imperfectly, and so we fear. We trust imperfectly, so we fear, which is exactly why the Apostle John assures us today he knows we need it. He knows we need to hear it. We need to be encouraged from time to time. We need to be reminded from time to time. And sometimes he even gives us his, his whole train of logic to let us know, to let us know, to be assured that God's love is in each and every one of us. Because he knows. He knows life doesn't always make sense. He knows things don't always go as expected. He knows sometimes life hurts. Sometimes life disappoints us. Sometimes we disappoint ourselves. Sometimes we do things that make us ashamed that we are even us. There's moments like this when the enemy hits us with fear. When we're shaken. When we're at our weakest when we're at our most vulnerable. And he throws that fear at us as hard as he can. See, these are the moments we need to remember what God has given us. The unbreakable shield of his love. That's the one thing that fear can't touch. It's the one thing that destroys all fear. But you have to remember to use it. You have to trust it. You have to found your faith on this unshakable truth. Because I believe in Jesus Christ. God is dwelling in me. And because God is dwelling in me, His love lives in me too. And this is the assurance you can stake your life on. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.